toward the back of the Bible, if this is, gives you any indication. It's toward the back of the Scriptures, one of the larger, last larger books we have in this last portion that we call the New Testament. And while we're going to be looking at uh, verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 10, I want to just read three verses at the very beginning. And so if you'd stand as we honor his word, I just want to read three verses that will help tether our time together. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12, going to verse 14, and it says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. You may be seated. So I wonder where you try to find your rest today or any day. Where do you try to find that rest? This has been one of those weeks where there's been a number of people who have been going through some significant uh, issues in life. Uh, We certainly want to remember Connie Pretty on the loss of Jim. Some of you may have heard about that. Um, Some of you may not have. But Jim had been a member here since 1973. He and Connie have been married for 55 years, and he passed away this past week. Um, The last chapter of his life was a struggle, health-wise. And so he was having a hard time with some of the questions that he was asking, trying to find some rest. Lord, what's going on? Lord, why are you doing this? What, what, is, what is happening here? What's the purpose behind it? And it was there that um, you've heard me say over the past couple of weeks that if we don't know his purposes, then you trust his promises. And that's where that came from was at the, at the bedside of him at the hospital was because sometimes we don't know where the purposes are and we try to find our rest in those purposes. And I would suggest to you that we don't find our rest in in knowing everything about everything because sometimes if we were to know everything about everything that's going on, it would not provide us rest. I think it would drive us mad. And so he gives us what we need as we need it. Um, I was just texting. Some of you may have uh, thought that I was uh, zoning out, especially those of you who are in the choir uh, please understand, uh, you may have seen me texting. I was texting Pat Hill, and Herschel's having a hard time today. Herschel's her son, 48 years old, and uh, Pat, she normally sits right up here. And so we're texting back and forth and uh, uh, just because I wanted to let her know that we love her. And Pat, if you're listening, please know that we do, uh, we do love you and we're praying for you. But Herschel's having a hard time. And so we want to continue to pray for him. And, and some of you got some news this week that wasn't all that good positive, wasn't all that uplifting, and I'm hoping what this morning will be is for you to see where your rest is truly found. As we look at this passage, what we're going to see is is that the writer of Hebrews, we really don't know who it is. People speculate, but we really don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Some people say it's Paul, some say it's Luke. I say it's God, and we just leave it at that, and then we, we move forward with the details later on, and we'll understand it better by and by. But we, we, when we look at this, the, uh, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Hebrews, and what it means is the Hebrews who are thinking about or have already trusted in Christ, but yet they're getting persecution for their trust in Christ. And how are they maneuvering through it? And so what the, the, the purpose of Hebrews 
is this, is to show that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better and greater than Moses. Jesus is greater, greater and better than the temple. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. And that's the, that's the point of Hebrews. And so what the Hebrews, what the Hebrews writer is doing is going back to the Old Testament. That Hebrew Bible is going back to the Old Testament and pulling some things from it to try to teach them about how to find their rest now. And we are the beneficiaries of that as well because some of you, you may be all stirred up. I have that personality. I have things that come along and I try to figure it out. And it gets me all cranked up and it gets me all stirred up. That's what my dad said. Dad said, no, son, just don't get cranked up. And, I, and because I sometimes do because I feel like, especially in certain lanes, it's my responsibility to try to find those answers and to try to help it along that way. And sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time, all the time, I need to be relying on him who does know the answers and who does provide the rest and not run ahead of him. I love Dave Howeth, who's one of our church planning coordinators here in the city, and he says, Matt, be sure to always go at the speed of God. Don't, don't, don't go slower and certainly don't go faster. So as we look at this and the, the asking just this basic question about if Jesus is your Sabbath rest, that's the whole point, is that Jesus is where we find our rest. And I pray that's where Jesus, that Jesus is the one that you find your rest in. Here's the first thing I want to share with you this morning is that this is, is number one, is that unbelief will not produce rest for your souls. Now we in church world would say, of course, But while we may in our minds and we may in our mouths say that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is enough and I trust in Jesus and Jesus this and Jesus that and give the Sunday school answer all the way around, what's the answer? Jesus is the answer. I I think sometimes maybe our actions when we get right in the middle of something really shows where we're at. It's that old adage that if you're to squeeze an orange, what comes out of it? Well, an orange juice, if you're squeezing apple, then you get applesauce. What happens when we squeeze ourselves? What happens when, when we are squeezed by life? What comes out? Right? Could have framed that better. But pressing on, when we hear his voice, the, it either softens our hearts or it hardens our hearts. And, and, and that's what happened when you're looking at, let's go back to chapter 3 and verse 7. Where it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I I was provoked with that generation. And they said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so, first of all, the writer of Hebrews gives me uh, helps me along in preaching because there's a couple of places where it says, it says as it says somewhere in scripture and he begins to quote the scripture so I, I'm like you know sometimes I remember a passage of scripture but I can't remember exactly where it is but I know it's somewhere and I also know the Holy Spirit is the one who says this therefore as the Holy Spirit says well we know that it's found we, we can know that it's found in Psalm 95 verses 7 to 11 so he's quoting from the Psalms as a reminder of what happened 400 years before that Psalm was written so in a couple of places, one in Exodus 17 and another in Numbers 14, we see that the, uh, the people of Israel were showing over and over a couple of characteristics. 
in Exodus 17, verses uh, 1 to 7, where it talks about where they were, they were wanting some water. They were complaining about some water. We need some water. Moses, can you get us some water? We're thirsty. Can you get us some water? Moses, Moses, Moses. Like kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so there's a place there that was called Meribah, which means strife or rebellion, and another place that was called Massa, which means testing. And those two characteristics were the characteristics of the people of Israel as they were wandering from Egypt into the promised land. Rebellion, quarreling, testing. And it came to finally a point where God, after this tenth time of going through this, had finally had enough. In Numbers 13, God had called the people of Israel to select one person from each tribe to go into the promised land and scope it out. They were there. They made it. They were finally there. They were going to scope it out. Now, what kind of land is it? It was a promised land. Not a maybe land. Not a hope to land. Not a, if you if you do really well. You're, no, it's a promised land, which means it's a land. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the you know, brightest bulb in the fixture. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box. But it was a land that was promised. So when God promises something, he'll follow through with it. It's not contingent upon how we think things are going to go. So they go into the promised land. And they see it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But they also see that the people there are really big. They felt like grasshoppers. We'll never be able to do this. And they convened a business meeting. They had a business meeting, and according to their bylaws, with the majority, 83.3%, 10 out of 12 said, "Uh uh-uh, which is a reminder for us that a congregational vote is not equivalent to the Holy Spirit, please. Can you hear me? Congregational vote's not equivalent to the Holy Spirit, because if God says something and he's just one, he is one, he's the majority, moving on. But two, Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, said, no, God's promised this, and if he delights in us, we'll do this. And they said no. And when they kept saying, no, we can do this, if the Lord's with us, they were going to pick up stones and kill them. And finally, the Lord came along and said in Numbers 14, verses 20 to 23, I'm going to summarize it. It says, basically, this is the 10th time you've done this. None of you who left Egypt will enter into the promised land. That's why they were wandering around. Some smart aleck decided that they were going to get on Google and try to, defend, try to debunk the Bible by saying, you know, they get on Google, and you know how on Google, on Google Maps you can find out how long something takes by walking or by bus or by car. Well, somebody decided to do something. How long does it take to get from Egypt to the promised land walking? And they said it was like 47 hours. Well, why would it be about that? He's like, what? And somebody said it wasn't about distance. It was about disobedience. That's why it took so long. And so what, what was happening was is that the Israelites in, in Numbers 14 decided, oh, we got it wrong. God, sorry. And they decided to go out. But it was too late because the Lord was not with them. They would have won if they had gone because the Lord would have with at that time if the Lord had been with them. And so when we're looking at this, and you go back to where we were in this passage in Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's the rebellion that they're talking about. And as I swore in my wrath, verse 11, 
they shall not enter my rest. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Jump down to verse 16 of Hebrews 3, if you will. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So as we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Some of you, you may find your rest by getting away from the things of God. Sometimes we're hearing about people who are deconstructing in the faith, and, and, and this deconstruction looks, looks a lot of different ways, but they feel like that the faith is making them uptight, and so we've got to get away from that and to be able to find rest away from the things of God. I am telling you right now, you will not be able to find rest in unbelief. You will not be able to find rest in unbelief. You will only be able to find rest as you trust in what he has done. But as we get, here's the second point that we need to make sure is that you trust in the right thing. We have a responsibility. Let's go back to number two. Thank you, sir. We have a responsibility to, to encourage and to exhort each other. Now, what does it mean to exhort? We don't use that word a lot. We use some other words for it. But to exhort mainly means to strongly urge or encourage someone to do something. To strongly urge, urge, urgency. There's an urgency about what is going on with somebody, ourselves or somebody else. There is an urgency like we've got to come along and make sure we're going in, in this direction. Now you may say, now Pastor Matt, in church world and in our, in our day today, that doesn't work because we don't want to offend somebody. Because if, if we come up against and tell someone, even as we are being loving and gentle and respectful about it, if we're coming up to someone as a brother or sister in Christ and we're saying, you know, can we go have lunch and have coffee? I've noticed something. How dare you speak to that and all? Well, we're just going by what the scriptures are saying because it's not that we've got it all figured out as the one who is approaching and encouraging and exhorting. It's not that we've got it figured out. On the contrary, we don't have it figured out. But there are a few things that we do know from scripture that we do in re- with respect and gentleness. We come along and we help them work it out. Now, how do we encourage each other? Now, in church world sometimes, when a culture has been developed, what can happen is, well, we want to go in a certain direction. Well, well, well um, so-and-so, um, that's not the way we do things around here. We've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. The bylaws say we do it this way. The way we did it 20 years ago is this way. And there's all sorts of things that can come along to influence how we, how we are, what we are urgent about. And sometimes the things that we're urgent about were kind of the things that the Pharisees were urgent about. Rules, made up, man-made rules that we try to impose on people because it's worked for us, therefore it should work for you. And that will help everything to be manageable and not messy. Because we don't want messy church. We want manageable church. We want a manageable life where things stay in their lane. Well, is that life for you? Do you, do you when, when Connie found out that Jim, you know, when, when he was brought home, they said he had days to weeks. Well, he had days. Things come up. Some of you got some news this week. Things just flat come up that make your life not manageable anymore. Well, praise God that we have someone who does not change 
and helps us to move forward. What are the ways that we encourage and exhort one another? I think it's very clear in, in the passage here. There's three times where it says here, one in, in chapter 3, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice. Verse 15 of chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice. Chapter 4, verse 7. Today, 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 if you hear his voice. Now that word there is if. Meaning, okay, so I'm reading his word, and Scripture tells us that if we hear his word, we're hearing his voice. You may not be down with that right now, but that's what the Scriptures are telling us. We are hearing God's word. We are hearing God's voice. So you're hearing it. And the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness heard it, 1400 B.C. When David wrote this in Psalm 95, 1000 B.C., they heard it. But it's not hearing simply physiologically. There's another type of hearing that the Bible is talking about. He who has ears to hear does not the scripture say. Let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. That's what's talked about in Revelation 2 and 3. Over and over. This drumbeat. This drumbeat. um, He who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So when we exhort and encourage one another, we do so based upon his word. Not the word of the culture, not the word of the past, not the word of traditions, not the word of our want-tos. It's the word of the living God. Why? Because, okay, now we're jumping. We're all over the place, aren't we? We're like a little jumping bean. Well, here we are down to chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, we know verses 12 and 13, and they stand on their own, don't they? We, but when you understand it in context, now we're seeing a little extra layer of what this beautiful passage is talking about. For the word of God is living. It's not a dead word. This word is alive. And, it make, and the spirit of God uses the word of God to make the people of God. And to make the people of God alive out of their deadness. Alive, active. Even after you are already in Christ, the word of God's still moving and playing in the pipes, isn't it? It's moving and working to kick out the stuff that doesn't belong to, to the things of God so that it's replaced by a fuller and freer moving of the spirit of God. For the word of God is living, at this rate we'll never get there. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrows, and here it is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know why people don't read the word of God? And maybe this is why you're not reading the word of God. You don't like what it's got to say. You got a problem with it because it cuts against what you think. Well, I've lived my whole life and it seemed to work real well and I start reading the Bible and it starts making me feel bad about myself. No, that's good. That's good. That bad is good because it is moving and active and working and there's some discernment going on and God in his wisdom is bringing you where you need to be. I, 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 sent, my, I, my, I sent Cindy, um, that's my wife by the way, um, in case we haven't had a chance to meet, I know, 
But I sent her this little thing about, um, um, it was a letter that was written to a newspaper. We remember newspapers. And it was a little letter that was written to a newspaper, thankful for a mean mom. Now, I'm not, I got your attention, right? I'm not saying Cindy's a mean mom. Stop it. Now, what I'm saying, though, is it started off by saying, whereas other kids were having candy for breakfast, my mom made me eat bacon and eggs and cereal. Whereas other kids were doing all this, my mom made me do this. And it was something, you know, it was something where it was like, it wasn't a careless mom, but the kids thought that she was being a mean mom because she was trying to take care of them. And the, and the end of it was, I'm thankful for a mean mom. You get, you get the saying? You get, some people think God's being mean because it's cutting against our lives. That's not mean. That's God caring for you. That's God loving you. That's why we have to be in the word. That's why we as Christians in church world, when we get to a point where we think, well, I've got it all together. I already know it. I've been going to Sunday school for 65 and a half years, and I've been doing this all my life. I've heard 100,000 sermons. I've got it all together. And you have to ask yourself, well, well, do you? Because is the word making a difference in your life? Or is it just simply a book that interests you every so often? The Bible is there to cut through, to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to him, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you go to, to verse 2, again, hopping all over the place, for good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Another way to put that is that it did not meet with faith in the hearers. So, the question you have to ask is, is the word of God being met with faith in your hearts? Or is the word of God being met with unbelief? You say, well, I've been going to church my whole life. That, that's just geography. Is, is the word of God, are you receiving the word of God? Are you receiving it and is it giving you life? Or the more you hear the word of God, the more it hardens your heart. Because the Bible in the old King James, it says that the scriptures both quicken, make alive, and kill. That's what the word does. What's the word doing in your heart right now? Are you engaged and active in the living and active word of God? Because here's the last one, number three, Craig, if you wouldn't mind. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And will you be, will today be the day you receive this rest? How many times in this passage that I've read, even as I've been skipping all over the place, today, 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 today. I used to listen to Creedence Clearwater Revival, still do. And there was a song toward the, toward the end of their run that I, always stuck with me, and it's a song called Tomorrow Never Comes. They didn't make that up, but that's where I first heard it. But it, and it's really true, because tomorrow never comes, because when tomorrow comes, it turns into what? Today. And so that's where he, he's looking at this, and, and, and go back to verse 6 of chapter 4. Since therefore there remains for some to enter it, 
and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So there was good news that was preached with the people in the wilderness, and that was the good news that they were to receive that day, which was today to them. When David preached that and wrote that in in 1,000, today, well, that was today for them. The wilderness part was yesterday as a reminder of what they should do today. And so now the writer of Hebrews is writing 1,000 years after David, 1,400 years after the issues in the wilderness, today. And so we today, what's today? Or April the 3rd. We today are reading about something that was written 2,000 years ago that reflects on something from 3,000 years ago that reflects on something from 3,400 years ago. It is still the same good news because even as we change and the culture change, there's nothing new under the sun and God and his word does not change. He does not change. And so It's still talking about the day of a Sabbath rest that's different from the rest that was talked about when they were going into the promised land. What is this rest? Well, verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What are we talking about here? There is a rest that when Jesus is talking talked about in chapter one or chapter three, verses one to six of Hebrews, it is talking about how Jesus is more worthy as Moses because as, as the builder of the house is more worthy than the house itself. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is better. And Jesus, just as in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was a shadow and a copy of things to come. The Sabbath rest that's talked about in the Old Testament is not talked about simply as the seventh day of the week that we are to rest from physical work. And it's, and it's not talked about in any other way, but when we're talking about the Sabbath rest, in fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where the word Sabbath is, is used. And it's used in connection to a rest that we as the people of God have. Jesus referred to it. Come ye, I know it in the King James, come ye all who are weary and heavy laden, and, and what's he going to do? He's going to give you rest. Now, there's going to be a yoke that's going to be put on us to keep us in the direction that we should be going. But it's, the, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. So even as we are working for the things of God, there is a rest to it. Because there is something about, as we talked about last week, when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus wanted to do a lot of his healings on the Sabbath just to kind of tell the Pharisees, hey, guys. You don't stop from doing good just because of your rules. You follow through. And when Jesus did that, it wasn't work for Jesus to meet needs. That was a rest for him because he saw the rest that this man with the withered hand was going to have because he was going to be free from that malady. They were going to be free from the demon possession. They were going to be free from this. They were going to be free from that. And that was rest for God because he's providing rest for us. How much more when Jesus died upon the cross and went through that excruciating pain, that slaughterhouse, he was doing that. He was going through that work so that we ourselves would have rest one day. When we walk in unbelief from what he does, then we will not find rest. 
But when we trust in what he did on the bloody cross, and we trust in what happened at the empty tomb, he did that work so we would be free to rest, and that is the ultimate goal of our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We find our rest, our hope, our life, our joy, our peace, our rest in all that he is and all that he's done. Some of you are here today and you've got some heaviness on you. Some of you are listening and you've got some heaviness on you. And you may think, Pastor Matt, you are out of your tree by thinking that what I'm going through right now is providing me with some rest. My husband just died. My son is struggling. I got a report from the doctor. I got a report from my, my child who's going through some things. I got a report from my, 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 my relative, my this, my that. And you're like, how in the world are you expecting me to find rest? I can't answer those individual things because I've gone through some things with death in our family and issues in our family to where at that time I could not find rest until much, much later after that. But I will tell you that because of what God had helped me through leading up to that, I was able to draw from something while I was going through that. Because if you start trying to seek after the things of God when you're in the middle of the valley and you're in the middle of the storm, you're going to struggle because you're going to have all that other stuff mixed in and you're trying to deal with that and you're trying to, and it's going to be just a lot for you to process. But if in between those times you're in the word and you're developing those habits of prayer and, and, and being together at church and, and learning the word and, and dealing with all that, then when the issue hits, you've got something off those shelves to pull from. You've got something to pull from and that will help you to be able to move forward with it. Spurgeon struggled, struggled with depression so greatly that if they had had Zoloft or if they had whatever the other one is, um, there's two of them, but if they, if he, they had Zoloft, or something, he would have probably been on it. That's how much he struggled. But what he said was, those struggles made me run to Christ, not run away from him, because it was only in Christ where I could find my rest. I, I want you to leave out of here with not letting those erasers, those doors be gigantic erasers. To where if we were to be if you were to ask, be asked thirty minutes after the sermon is over, what the preacher preached on, it's like um Jesus, God, something. Walk out of here at least remembering this. This world will not be able to provide the rest that you need. It can't. It's not equipped to do that. It's a temporary place. Our rest needs to be found in something and someone that does not change and is eternal. Christ. Christ is that Sabbath rest. He provides everything you need to do, everything that he commands you. He is our rest. Is he the rest for you? Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He will, not might, not considerate. He will absolutely give you the rest that you need that will set a trajectory into all of eternity. But start now. 
trust, come to Christ. While it's called today, trust and find that rest, that Sabbath rest that remains for his people. That's us. Come find that rest today. Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say and use us, Lord, for your glory. Father, I thank you for your word that speaks as if it was written this morning to show us, Lord, what needs to happen, what needs to, what is the the elixir, Lord, and it's the Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. Oh, Lord, there's so many hurts and so many hearts this morning, but I pray, Father, that um, we would run to you and run to your son Jesus, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, knowing that everything is in your hand. We live in a broken and dead world, Lord, that wants to go away from everything that you are. But you sent into this broken and dead world your son to take us where we need to be in Christ. May we repent of our sins and confess those sins and repent of them and turn to Christ in all that we have so Christ is not a side hobby for us, but he is enough, he is better, he is best, he is center, he's our north star, he's our all in all. May this be the morning, today, that we would not harden our hearts to your word, that we would enter your rest. Thank you for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. We are grateful. Help us, Lord, and change hearts and minds this morning by the work of your spirit. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a song that we're getting ready to sing. It's 324 in your hymnal. If you want to make use of those, the words will also be up on the, on the screen. But have you been to Calvary? And you're like, well, I've